Welcome to Grow the Fuck Up, a podcast about personal growth, intent on addressing uncomfortable topics in hopes of spreading understanding and enlightenment in the continuing age of division and misinformation. Who the fuck are we and what the fuck are we doing here? Hello, I'm Lotus Wildflower. I had this crazy idea once upon a time to start a blog about my personal experiences in life. I've suffered many years with an invisible illness being a migraine sufferer since the age of 14. I've also had two different psychological disorder diagnoses, ingested more psychoactive medications than I can remember, probably due to all the psychoactive medications, go figure, and a few inpatient stays in psychiatric facilities by the age of 30, culminating now into a few more questionable but improved remedies for my overall health but feeling so jazzed about living my life again. I had named my blog Oxymoronic Duality out of an extreme urge to lean into the symbolism of manic depression, which we now call bipolar disorder. I've always felt drawn to the yin-yang. The symbol represents unity of a whole while recognizing the dual and often contradictory aspects of our world, others within it, and ourselves. It is my deepest hope to continue to foster unity within myself, unity between communities, and a greater unity between the peoples of our tiny world. This is a hope that two differing sides can find balance and harmony because I've battled the dark and light, good and bad sides of myself for so long. And that very hope makes me a firm believer in democracy and the American way. So many things led me to create Grow the Fuck Up, a podcast community about personal growth and understanding differing points of view with passionate speakers with funny or educational personal stories to share. Please feel free to contact me if you're interested in contributing your stories to our feed. My blog sat neglected for long bouts as I focused on posting to my more personal profiles and a myriad of private groups. Recently, I realized that I had a lot to say about politics, equality, philosophy, dating and relationships, current events, body positivity, mental health, and many other topics. I hope to make Grow the Fuck Up into a full-fledged podcast and a community resource to convey opinions, education, experiences, revelations, and goals to friends, family, and those who may find solace or guidance in shared stories. Writing for an audience helped me to uncover a lot of hidden issues I was avoiding working on in my life. Growing more as a person and healing from my hurtful past, I found I have a compassionate but loud voice that doesn't seem so crazy anymore. Nowadays, I don't believe I'm mentally ill so much as I was malformed due to years of unresolved trauma, and I'm now dedicated to understanding myself, others, and the world. I'm hopeful the wave of awakening I see in cycle breakers of trauma and emotional intelligence will help to bridge the gap between our lost brothers and sisters. There are scientists working around the world trying to understand all the whys of our world, from ecologists in hopes of understanding conservation and balance of the natural world, meteorologists that seek to understand the weather, virologists hoping to create the vaccines that cure COVID-19, including psychologists and psychiatrists reaching out to so many in a virtual capacity for so many people during a time of isolation and solitude for the greater good, and many, many others with critical minds and analytical focus. Although I may not have a degree in a specific field, my life lessons have taught me that I'm a decent storyteller, an excellent tutor, and an even better listener. I like finding the patterns in how we as people engage each other, hurt each other, and help each other. I've grown highly interested in the field of social sciences and hope that my natural inclination for understanding data will translate into the ability to work independently for myself in a field that could do a lot of good, but I'll be happy just learning a new programming language. If this podcast ends up being uber successful, then even better. Often in my life, I've been called a social butterfly. And while I always thought it sounded cliche, the symbolism of a butterfly has many facets I've grown to admire. Beauty, frailty, determination, hope, and transformation. In growing up a bit, I have learned to admire those parts of myself as well. 
In learning of the butterfly effect and chaos theory, which led me to seeking to understand recurrence in math and science, as well as psychology, sociology, even my personal soul searching, then on to discover turbulent flow in the brushstrokes of my favorite painting, Starry Night by Vincent van Gogh, I come to realize that all human study is connected in ways we are still trying to understand. The arts, entertainment, and our inherent social connectivity are imperative factors in advancing our biological, cellular, sociological, psychological, and neurological knowledge as a species on this tiny, tiny planet in the Milky Way galaxy. So I'll put my knowledge and the knowledge of my friends and guests to try and reduce the overall suffering of the people by giving relatable stories, viewpoints, and community while the mainstream media seeks only to frighten and divide their consumers so they stay in and buy more happiness than generating it for themselves. So let's generate it for ourselves. I'd like for you to meet my first guest, Desi. So who the fuck are you and what the fuck are you doing here? I am Desi or designated slut, however anybody wishes to refer to me as, beautifully named by the Hash Group, which I have found to be one of the best communities I've ever been in, in my 35 years in this wonderful world of ours. Honestly, I don't really know what I'm doing here, other than the fact that I thought it was intriguing, the idea itself, uh, I've never done anything like this. I tend to be a little bit small voice. I like to sit back and watch things happen. It's weird to think that I'm in my mid-30s and I'm just now trying to, I'm just now figuring out and learning who I am and how to let my voice be heard. And I know that I'm opinionated and I've just never let those opinions come out because I never wanted anybody to be mad at me or angry with me, or I was always a conflict avoider for so long. Ultimately, kind of squashing my soul a little bit, realizing later in life that I do have a lot to say and I don't really care who at the end of the day likes me or does not like me. I have to like myself. And I started to realize that I didn't like myself anymore by just being this meek little nobody that let the conversations happen around me. So it's it's taken a little while and I'm finding my footing, but I'm getting there a little at a time. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. Yes. Uh, growth definitely takes time. It's one of those things that can be scary, you know, It and especially when you know you're supposed to be doing it and you're just like, oh God, like, it's like you're standing at the edge of the cliff and you want to jump into the water, but like, you know, you have to jump. So it's like, yeah, ah. I spent so long letting people talk for me or assume what was on my mind and not letting myself be heard. And being spoken over, cut off from conversations, and I just always kind of like let it be okay. And I started to get really mad at myself after so much time. So finding my voice now. Yeah. Ash has a big, big part of Yeah. <laughs> I've been a big help in that whole finding myself kind of journey I'm on. Yes, I, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, the nature of our club being a drinking club with a running problem, it's, you know, we're, we're a little bit more in the cups. And so I think that it, the lowering of the inhibitions allows for us to just be a little bit more open and honest on the regular with people, like in our normal interactions. So then that lets us to let friends in easier. So we get the, we get more of those, like just people that get us because we let that guard down a little bit more around those people. So yeah. I think it just kind of, if it's like one of those cyclical effects that like it funnels into itself, the more drunk you get with your friends, the more you open up to them and the more they get to know you because you're actually speaking the truth more often. And so the more you drink and the more you hang out and the more you, yeah. 
And even some of the more like confrontational conversations that I've had with the group, they're never like angry or rage fueled. They're all so informative. I've learned so much about myself and others through this whole experience, which has been really great. It's only been a year, but <laughs> yeah, that's also, that's also another thing as we kind of coming from different background levels of this of this kind of subgroup that we're in. Uh, I'm hoping to bring in more people that are not actually part of that group and kind of open it back up. But I think we're going to end up getting a lot of the hashers just because the anonymity thing is going to. I think it'll entice some people. I'm hoping. I'm hoping. I'm trying to put the bait out there a little bit. But yeah. Anyway, thank you for sharing, and I definitely am. I'm on board with you. You know, voicing your opinion here. Be as loud as you want to, girl. And uh, yeah, it's it's not a good look to be bottling your feelings up. You you hurt yourself more than you hurt anybody else by doing that. So, all right. So next up, we've got Jack. Hi there. My name's not Jack, but uh, that doesn't matter. I'm I'm here because personal growth is one of my biggest motivators in life. I can really relate to Desi, your journey, uh, self-discovering, things like that. I've been doing that for really the past few years for reasons I either won't get into or get into later. I started really late on that too. But I've, I've, I've decided that interpersonal relationships are the best catalyst available for personal growth. Uh, you know, talking, discussing things, figuring out how you actually feel about certain issues that you don't necessarily confront in your real life, but you you need to consider once in a while. And I, I really enjoy talking primarily about myself and uh, arguing with people in constructive manners, normally. I, I haven't yelled, screamed, or thrown things in a while. I don't plan to. <laughs> the fact that I live alone kind of helps. That's, uh, that's, that's me in a nutshell, really. Uh, details can come out later. Yeah, awesome. All right. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm on board with you there. Like I, I think that that's something that we discredit is that our own personal knowledge, like our own lived experiences have value. They have weight to people. Every person I've ever gone out to meet, any time they've told me their life story and things that are big for them, I felt close to those people. Those are the people that I remember is them, you know, the ones that opened up to me about big stuff. You know, I'm, I'm okay with the small talk, the banter, but I prefer to get into like big things that matter because I want to know the real, the real person. And those are going to be, you know, what do they value and what, you know, I, I hate to say it, but the reason why we don't really talk about the sex, politics and religion thing, the big, the, I'm going to keep calling them the big three. We don't talk about the big three because those are things that actually let people know our values without them, without realizing it. it allows too much of us out there in those conversations because we can't not be invested in our faith and in our governance. Like we don't, as people like to be governed we we don't like authority like i mean our teenage years are a testament to human behavior when it comes to rebelliousness like we're just we're engineered that way we want to live on our own so i think that our avoidance of those topics doesn't help us to grow i think it doesn't allow us to know those parts of people anymore and that's why we've gotten so many people that isolate and have these really weird kooky ideas about other things and then the only way to really combat those kooky ideas is to get those people exposed to what they believe to find out for themselves that they are true because confirmation bias is real you can't you can't educate a person into caring about something they, they utterly believe is the opposite. You just can't. You have to get them to see that what they think is actually false. And that takes a lot of time and effort. And a lot of people don't do it. All right. So next we're going to move on to Wazan. 
Hi. All right, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm appearing here as Wazan. My uh, hash name is Shut the Fuck Up Special Fred. Uh, I was I was named, I've been hashing for 10 years. I was named for two reasons. One is when I first started hashing on our listserv, it was before Facebook, I started conversations about being adult children of alcoholics and things like that. And I found out that hashers don't like talking about that. So that was part of the shut the fuck up. I learned about hashing. I was at a Menza meeting. We had a, a beer garden and someone mentioned that they, about hashing. And I was like, well, oh, wait a minute now, explain this to me. People get together, they drink some beer, they run through the woods and, uh, and, and it's made into a game. Where have you been all my life? So that's also part of the special part of it. I think what I resonated most with you, uh, Lotus, is you're a broad thinker. You have a lot of different categories. And so I thought, well, you're going to do a um, podcast or whatever. Yeah, we can make that work. I'm sure it'll be really interesting. Probably also add that I'm at a point in my life where personal growth is really important. I've been divorced for two years. I was a victim of narcissistic abuse. And so there's a lot of healing going on. I'm starting to date again. So I've got to figure out, I got to get that game going. And um, uh, and I got to say that even filling out an OkCupid okay profile is like being in therapy with yourself. So you figure out, well, this is who I am and these are my boundaries and this is how we're going to make this. These are things I'm working on and, uh, and uh, but this is what I can offer and, and those types of things. So um, there's just a combination of things that make this a good time to get into some of these wild conversations. Right on, right on. Yeah, uh, sorry about the, the abuse bra. I mean, that seems to be a thing that more people are coming out and realizing is that the people in their lives have not been treating them very well. And that's, I'm glad that people are coming to the realization and getting out of it, but that, that does leave people in these very precarious positions, you know, where after they've pretty much made a life for themselves, they're now having to start over. So. So you, I'm sure you've got a very interesting way of looking at things considering the life changes you're going through. Well, yeah, well, and oddly enough, or probably of no surprise, every uh, every woman that I've matched with on OkCupid have also been victims of narcissistic abuse. I mean, so, yeah. uh, so there's certainly a uh, uh, an affinity. Yeah, dating is tough out there, man, because I think we're, again, we're all kind of trying to be the cycle breakers. We're, we're really the first generation that tries to fix the problems that our parents gave us before we pass it on. We actually did pause long enough before our reproductive habits took over our ability to like logically deduce how to parent. So um, I think that's for the better. I think, I think a lot of us are realizing that our parents kind of screwed us up and didn't really give us all the tools that we needed to go out into the world. Hence, hence this. Help, let's help everyone else grow the fuck up a little. I, I just love profanity so very much. I just... <laughs> <laughs> Everything goes better with profanity. I know, yeah. right? <laughs> hey, watch your fucking mouths. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, adult adult content for sure. Hashtag adult content, not safe for work. I need to I need to definitely make sure we brand that everywhere. Like, I need to get well, a I censored sticker. And... <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to add that I have procreated, so I do have two children. Okay, so what, how old are they? Uh, they're in their um, early, uh, late 30s, early 40s. Okay. And uh, and I have two grandchildren. Nice. Nice. I actually have a couple of kids too. How, yours are? 
still in the home, yes? Uh, I, I outsourced the, the tile raising. I, I let my uh, fur cats take care of that business, but I have a 17-year-old and a 14-year-old, and I may actually I may actually end up getting custody for both of them by the end of the year, the way Ooh. things are looking. Wow. Not not anything bad, but they're, they're both special needs, and my oldest is fairly severely autistic, and he's my size, and his mother is five foot three. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm six two. And, you know, he's he's getting to the point where when he has his little meltdowns, they can sometimes be violent. And uh, he accidentally knocked her down some stairs. So she's starting to think maybe she can't really handle him physically. Yeah, no, that's, um, I mean, that's a real concern. Yeah, it, you know? it is. It is, absolutely. So uh, I My may end up... Pumped me up enough I'll never have kids. <laughs> There's a lot of you. There's a lot of you out there. I never intended to. I was just dumb and drunk, and uh, my pullout game. Was hey, not so, not so quick with the pullout game. <laughs> I love it. Getting we, real. We both, we both took a shower and used the same towel or something. I don't know. So, oh yeah, it just, it just snuck up on me. <laughs> There, there was a brief moment where I thought I was going to have to step in and adopt my nephew a few years back. He's seven years old now. He's actually coming next weekend to visit me here in Las Vegas, which I'm super excited about. Yeah, but awesome. my sister, maybe someday she'll get her shit in order. But for a hot minute there, I thought I was going to have to be the mommy role. Who knows? It could still happen. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Uh, I do know a couple of hashers who have had to move back home because of either their elderly or their younger family having needing more assistance during the pandemic because either their jobs are lost, or their services were lost. So that's man, it's just a, it's crazy wild time. And that's that's also another thing is like I feel like Grow the Fuck Up right now is is an opportune moment to become a thing to actually bud and grow into whatever it will be now because we've got the time and people are bored. Like, why not slow down and have some conversations with friends? Let's see, what are some topics I wanted to go over with you guys? So, uh, the royal family. I was trying not to get all sucked into it, and I got I got sucked into it, y'all. Like, I try not to care because, you know, we're the dirty colonials, and, like, you know, we came and we're, we're better than everybody anyway, so fuck all y'all. But... I wanted to I wanted to gloat that Prince Harry was going to become an American, but he hasn't fully abdicated. So I I gotta just kind of rein that in a little bit and just wait. Uh, no no you know America rockets or anything over over Buckingham Palace yet, but uh, soon. I'm hoping soon. What do we <laughs> think about What do we think about all of that Meghan Markle stuff? Are you guys? It looks like the dudes have no idea what we're talking about. I didn't even. I honestly didn't even realize. I guess I just don't pay attention to the whole royal family thing at all. Like people go crazy over their weddings and they're walking down the street one way or like, but then I, I logged into Hulu the other day and I saw this whole Oprah cracks the egg with Harry and Meghan. And I was like, what is this about? And then all over the internet. It's kind of a big deal. Kind of blew up started, a little. I started watching the interview with uh, Oprah and I was like, Ooh, racist. Oh yes, oh snap, yeah, oh snap, did, uh, like, that's the thing with the olds, though. What a PR nightmare for the royal family. Hold on, you cannot tell me that 
a, a, a small group of extremely rich white British people are racist. That's not possible. I know. It's just, a, it's no, just not, not, they're not, they're not the, that the is not their MO at all. Abducting people from another country and bringing them to colonize and do things here. They're not responsible for that at all. Yeah, no. Have like just centuries <laughs> of empiricism for us to throw in their face right now. I, mean, I just, <laughs> part of me, almost isn't shocked by it. Just the way the royal family handled Diana and yeah. every other marriage basically into the, every time I hear something about the royal family, it doesn't necessarily seem to be a positive thing. Granted, there was that big span of time where like nothing exciting was happening. I did but... see a thing about Russell Brand had brought up that um, this is the longest period that the UK has, act the kingdom has had a monarch reign for this long. So they're not prepared as a people, like the public just aren't really prepared for the transition of power and what that might be considering how every, everything's really going and modernizing and they're really figuring out that like, you know, the royal family is just a figurehead. It's just celebrityism by way of old, old tradition. Yeah, I, I think they really need to start figuring out how to meld together old and new tradition. Like, I mean, there's just really not any room in today's civil, like in today's world, for that kind of like narrow-minded, heels in the ground type of attitude towards anything out of the norm. Yeah, but but this also kind of <laughs> this brings up the issue with cancel culture now. Like, are we going to cancel the royal family because they happen to have some old racist views, considering that they are maybe some old racist? Like. Is that really something that would lead to the downfall of a monarchy because of cancel culture? And like, we're dealing with the fact that we're not even that old of a country, America. You know, we're we're dealing with the, the divide between conservatives trying to keep our old traditions and then, and then the progressives trying to move things forward. Us being the newest country and the strongest, we should blaze forward faster. So the, the balance is very hard to find, you know? I, I can't say what's the right way in most things. I tend to, I feel I'm mostly a centrist, but you know, sometimes I lean a little bit more progressive on things. Sometimes I lean a more, a little bit more conservative. Like I think people should be allowed to have guns. That's, you know, that's definitely a thing that, that it's in our constitution for a reason. And I think that people are taking it out of, out of context because of the damage that they do. There's also a lot around like constitutional rights. Like think about when that thing was written and the whole right to bear arms was meant for, as opposed to like today's society, it, like the, the meaning behind what it was needed for then versus now is a little, you know, muddy water. It <laughs> is. It is. Well, I am by no means a constitutional scholar, uh, not even on Facebook. Uh, and I did not stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night, but <laughs> I've read the constitution. I've read the Federalist Papers for fun because I'm like, fucking nerd people focus on the first sentence of the second amendment it's actually a very small amendment it's it's like two or three sentences uh, but that first one that you know congress will not abridge uh, the right to bear arms uh they they forget the rest of it the the, the reason it's there is so that we can have a well-regulated militia the yes. reason we need a well-regulated militia is because constitutionally until there was an amendment that fixed it our country was not allowed to have a standing army. We could not have a federal military other than a navy 
because none of the states could support a navy. The states could have their own militia. It's not even about being able to fight off a tyrannical government, like everybody always says. I mean, that is an added benefit, definitely. Unless, of course, you think about the actual logistics of it, where, you know, I've got pistols, other people have rifles, the government has tanks and, and you know, gunships and helicopters and fighters and all this other stuff. And so the idea that we're going to fight off a, uh, a tyrannical government when they've got the, the whole military backing off is just ridiculous. But um, I do think we should have guns so that we can protect ourselves from other people who have guns. But yeah, the Second Amendment isn't there for that reason. It's yeah. there where the states could have their own military. Yes, because we really don't understand it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So first, yes, it was so that in the event that our government tried to overstep their bounds, we were able as people of the United States were allowed to defend ourselves. That's why we're allowed the right to bear arms. So that's, that's really the, the, the breakdown for me is that it's my right to be able to defend myself. Now we, there was like, I think it was a stupid movie back in the 90s. I want to say it was Con Air where like a military, and this is actually kind of based on a real story. I'm going to have to find it where um, a military guy that was trained in like special ops actually managed to kill a dude in self-defense because of a fight, a brawl at a bar. But he like mangled this dude. Like, like just this guy had no way of, of not defending himself against the deadly force of this I think it was a Marine. So it turns into this whole thing. Like, you know, who's culpable here? Somebody made him a deadly weapon and he went out and murdered someone, but it was in self-defense and we're allowed to defend ourselves. Right? So this is where it can it kind of got into that gray area where it's like, okay, how much self-defense? Like we are the guy that ran over that town you guys know about that dude right he like built a tank and got mad and ran over his town like the city council and a whole bunch of shit before he killed himself like legit this was a couple of years ago dude that was like i think it was like 20 years ago now but it was fucking epic it was like the yeah. most spiteful rage vindication it like moment a, it was like a homemade tank he yes. like, was and like outfitted it to be a tank and wasn't it like a two-day a rampage like, he was in a standoff like and eventually took his own life there's nobody no way anyone's gonna get him out of that thing he chose to do it himself like it's important to point out that he did not hurt anybody. anyone else no collateral damage no just a lot of property damage property because he was violently protesting the the government screwing with him uh but he didn't hurt anybody other than himself like like you said he did eventually end up shooting himself but, yeah uh, uh, he didn't hurt anybody he just destroyed a bunch of government property because the government was really really jacking him around i think they uh they blocked off the one road people had to access his business and would not build him a new road mm, yes uh, so they they took his livelihood they uh they prevented him from getting any more uh, and while he, he initially tried to go through the proper channels eventually he just snapped so he made himself a tank and blew it all over town lost his shit <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah hardcore lost his shit yeah dude i mean sometimes people snap yo like that's real we've got an entire like television cable station like dedicated to like women who snapped like <laughs> <laughs> my main concern is the mental health issue that people who yeah. There are a lot of people who have access to very dangerous weapons 
who don't have the proper socialization or judgment. And this actually, and and, and that's that's the biggest risk. Uh, my my strategy for dealing with that is remaining affluent enough that I never have to be in circles where I have to be afraid of being shot. <laughs> what village is a superpower? Like honestly, yeah. I'm I'm all for gun ownership. My husband and I have guns here in the in the home, but responsible gun ownership and you know, I wish there were more channels for people to get mental health that's affordable to them and stuff that, like that. I was I was living in Florida with a roommate of mine a couple of years ago, and we were out down the street drinking, um, having a couple of beers. Uh, it was time to go home. We went to his car and I was like, no, 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 it's just a block or two, like, let's just walk. And he's like, no, I'm fine, I only had two beers. And I'm, I had not had only two beers. I had a couple of whiskeys thrown in there. And I was like, all right, buddy, like, if, if you're fine, I trust you, it's two blocks down the road. He's like, yeah, 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 I just had two beers. We get to a stoplight. Now I had no idea that he had a gun in the car. We get to a stoplight and I guess somebody cut him off. I wasn't really paying attention. I was on my phone. So he came up, pulled right up next to this guy. The car is on my side, the passenger side. He's in the driver's side yelling across me at this guy at like two o'clock in the morning in downtown Orlando about how he cut him off and da 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 da. And the guy said something to us. And I'm just sitting there like, oh shit. <laughs> My roommate reaches into his glove box, pulls out the gun, and like starts waving it around. And I like, I freaked out. I was like, oh my God, oh my God. I like, I pulled the seat, laid myself down. We got back to the apartment and I was like, bro, what the fuck was that? I didn't even know you hit like that. What the fuck was that? Like anger management issues, kid. Holy shit. Like, what if he had a gun? What if he shot me? What if this, what if while you were waving it around, you shot me? Like, what, what are you thinking? Like, is that thing registered? Is that he's like, no, I don't have to have it registered. I'm like, do you have a permit to carry that? And he's like, well, in Orlando, you don't have to. He was trying to explain a bunch of shit to me and I did my research and he was way off base and something about his car being an extension of his personal residence. I don't know. And I was just like, in a manic rage at two o'clock in the morning with your drunk roommate in the car, you decide it's a good idea to wave a gun around at a stranger in another car who's just as angry. What if that went bad? <laughs> like, I understand wanting protection and you want, everybody wants their guns, but I, I'm a firm believer in responsible gun ownership and not doing that. Yeah, yeah. Like, understanding time, place, use, that was not any of those. <laughs> I seriously was so scared. I think I peed myself that night. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, that's it's a little... It's funny how people are getting their guns taken by the government and then they go do stupid shit like that. That's going to get their guns taken away. Yeah. Um, you know, once you're a felon, you can't have a gun anymore. So, you know, you in, in the state of Florida, uh, I think they still have, you know, if you brandish a, a gun, you're, you're immediately going to jail for five years. If you uh, use the gun, you're going for 10. If you actually hit somebody with a bullet, you're actually going for 20, just period. Just for- uh, Like minimum sentence, the, the 5, 10, 20 billboards they had when I lived there. Yeah, he just reached so, into yeah. a and started waving that thing around. And I was like, I, can I move out? <laughs> 
Yeah, that'd be my immediate response. Clearly, you don't understand how to responsibly own a gun. That is not the purpose of a gun. You don't yell at somebody at a stoplight at two o'clock in the morning in downtown Orlando. No. Yeah. Yeah, that's a little much. Okay, so that but that does kind of bring us back again to kind of what's going on with the royal family, and not so much with the guns, but with the mental health side of it. So the, the one of the bigger concerns is how bad mental health awareness actually is, especially now. People are having more more depression and anxiety, and and just general poor health because of you know, because of the pandemic, because of our isolation and our inability to kind of really do our routines that we did before. So now we're slowing down to introspect, which is difficult for so many people. So I think that's also triggering a lot more anxiety and depression in people now. And then the fact that, you know, we can't get a hug without possibly infecting ourselves with possibly deadly virus, you know, like, and we're getting all sorts of misinformation. That's also another thing that's disconcerting about right now is how much disinformation there actually is. So was on was talking about how we're uh he's seeing a trend in everyone having narcissistic abuse in their past now is that is that true or are some of these people maybe narcissists that are using this trend to play themselves the victim to gain people who are empathetic and then continuing the narcissistic cycle like i wonder about that sometimes because there's some people that i i hear them talk about what what they went through and yes what they went through was really bad but they also had their own hand in creating that toxic environment and they don't want to recognize their hand in it this is where growing the fuck up becomes really difficult you know it's like you got to tell that person hey maybe that's you projecting maybe you're projecting this out and that's what you're assuming happened on their end when you don't know like a lot of people try to be they're going to assume the motivations of their abusers i was really bad about that especially when it came to my parents trying to understand well what was their motivation for doing these things to me if i'm their child they're supposed to love me and then there's all these like bound expectations to that role then my parent me their child and so then i think that happens in in romantic relationships too where i've i've had my own issues with like i now had to be wife so i wasn't wasn't a lotus anymore i was now wife like wife mode activated and so i was letting go of some of my own personal needs to to be able to put on this role but the role can integrate with who i am as a person just there are some things that i just wasn't clicking i think that there are two things that are at play one was uh, a big one is uh with trump in the white house that triggered a lot of people Dude, to yeah. realize that, oh, I recognize this pattern. I was in a fucked up relationship like this. And now let's go figure out what that's all about. So I think having him in such a public, uh, uh, so publicly visible, triggered a lot of people who had been in uh, abusive relationships. I think this, and then I think, I think the second thing is, it's typical for uh, people who have been victims of abuse from a narcissist. We tend to be empaths. We tend to be codependent and we tend to be people who will say, oh, well, she's just having a bad day or, oh, she, you know, uh, you know, we, we tend to be more forgiving and look the other way. And because whatever is that's feeding the relationship and makes you, you want to feel good about yourself that you're helping this person who can't be helped, right? So I think that uh, we, who tend to be the empaths, in order to survive, have developed language to talk about it, and so we're the ones who are talking. You know what I mean? A lot of people who you know aren't in and have never been in an abusive relationship, never had to have the language to talk about relationships. Period. You know, just aren't talking about things. You know what I mean? 
so it's the more vo- it's the more verbal among us who are uh, who are talking and that's part of the reason it's it seems more prevalent i'm not sure i agree i think i think there are plenty of people who know how to use and say exactly the verbiage to get what they want from people and those manipulative types are out there I mean, they they do exist. I'm not saying that they don't. I'm just uh, I'm just wondering if that number is maybe less than what is actually put out there because of the the natural tendency for narcissists to project themselves as the victim to gain sympathy. Mm. I know it's the vicious cycle. It's that slippery slope of logic when it comes to trying to analyze abnormal abnormal psychology. How can we ever was, really know? How you just described it was kind of the type of person that my dad was. He had very narcissistic tendencies, but he then often made himself very victimized, which then as kids made us feel like we're doing something wrong to make dad feel this way. And I went seven years as an adult. Once I got out on my own and started experiencing the world on my own, I went seven, almost eight full years without actually talking to my dad because once I was out in the world, and experiencing things for myself with new people, I was like, man, that's fucked up. Yeah. Maybe I'm fucked up because of it. Yo. <laughs> like, I am not the reason. I'm not the reason. <laughs> Yo. There is some validation in that, but then you but then you also have the sting because now you're going out in the world and accidentally hurting people the way your parents hurt you. And it's like, oh man, I did not want to become my parents. Like this was the last thing I wanted. It didn't really work that way for me though, is I ultimately ended up finding myself repeatedly in the same situations. I would, I, I want to say that I was very aware of it. I identified it very quickly, but I didn't protect myself from it because I was very needy for attention for so long. I was like a serial monogamous. Like I just jumped from, I was like a monkey from one tree branch to another. Like as soon as this relationship sort of started to feel rocky, I swung right into the next one. And they always were with the same type of person. It was like, as gross as it sounds, it was almost like I was dating my dad. Like I just, I never discovered how to find like healthy relationships. And I always just thought it was normal because I spent so long thinking that this is as good as it's gonna get for me. Nobody better is going to want me because I ain't shit. Yeah, so I just keep those shitty people and let them mistreat me for so long because they'd be so nice while being assholes. So well, yeah. no, no question. Playing the martyr is a is a narcissistic ploy to manipulate people. I would never question that. I've experienced it myself. In fact, I had a I had a dream a couple nights ago where th- that. I was with my ex. I was going to go go somewhere. She said, "Oh, you just you're doing this because you hate me." And I felt rage and shame simultaneously in the dream, and uh, and and because it keeps coming back like that. That's so. There's no question what you're saying is true, but I think that there's a, um, at least in my case, I've read a lot of articles to realize that it's the worst case scenario when an when a uh, uh, empath connects with the narcissist. It's gasoline on the fire, and that's that's kind of what I'm trying to say. That a lot of us were empaths, you know, are talking about. I think I think this is also another thing is where we kind of get into the slippery slope when it comes to anything to do with um, labels 
now we're getting into the like the labeling so now we have empaths and now we have narcissists but those are all traits that humans all have all of us have a little egocentrism like we even go through a period of growth that is intended for us to understand egocentrism for survival so that we could be better to to assimilate into our our tribe to so that we can take care of ourselves and move the tribe forward so this idea that that there's there's these extreme sides it's no there's people that know how to pull and push all the right buttons and levers of you as a person that get you to be one way or the other with them and unfortunately sometimes it's the absence of that person that teaches you that yeah i had some i had some toxic parts of that and i was causing us to be out of out of sync with each other and so our churn was kind of my fault too you know and it takes that space and recognition and i guess pause that introspection period that happens after you feel the sting of loss, like grief has to has to subside for you to want to understand to work on yourself. So so trying to simplify it into just impasse and narcissist, that's that's part of it. That's part of understanding that. But then you gotta get to the next part is understanding that all humans are like that and all people are going to suffer because of the things that we do. And the only thing we can try to do is to learn and and be better. Um, and learn how to negotiate boundaries and learn how to, oh, yeah. you know, have adult relationships. Yeah. yeah, the boundaries thing. I think we are not really good at teaching that to kids. And I don't think parents have been doing a good job of it. And I, I, yeah, this this idea that we have to have the consent conversations, like that's real because we haven't been teaching that. That's something that we thought was common sense. And then it fell out of out of education. Yeah, I, I agree with the thing there. I don't necessarily have a lot of bad, but I agree. Um, on the consent piece, I know there's a significant amount of discussion and a lot of truth in the idea that, you know, we, we walk up to our kids and we tell them, go hug, go hug Nana, go, go hug Uncle Tim or, or what have you. And uh, we, we kind of force them to do that. Uh, and maybe they don't want to. Maybe they're not comfortable. And maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe there's a reason for that. Who cares? The reason is they're uncomfortable. Yeah. And if they're uncomfortable, that should be okay. And if we can teach them that when they're young, then later on, you know, they'll know if I'm uncomfortable in, a, in any given situation, I can and should just say no. Kind of like dare, but, you know, where Different. it actually works. Oh God, I saw something about how Dare was just a terrible, terrible, terrible like failure. I, and it, it just gave me so much glee to watch and see. Like, I was just like, yes, I knew this. I knew this when I, when I was in it and, and like in schools. Oh, anyways. Yeah, so that also kind of brings up, uh, Jack is also kind of get touching into, people were losing their shit recently about five-year-olds having to go through sex education. They were going to try and give kids sex education a little younger, and people thought that this meant that they were going to be teaching them how to have sex, which is just preposterous. Who in their right mind would want to do that besides Epstein? And he's dead. Right. People are way too sensitive about my right mind, but for real, if if we could find a way to teach the male population where the clitoris is i think the female population would be eternally grateful i think i've seen a monty python episode about this a movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> i wouldn't be surprised monty python is amazing for being <laughs> offensive and overly sexualized no, don't go rushing off to the clit right away oh my god i remember watching monty python when i was like 10. <laughs> 
I was raised by Monty Python and George Carlin and, and yeah. other stand-up comics, basically. We uh, definitely are a generation uh, of irreverence. You know, like, my kids are autistic. My entire family is autistic on my father's side. My dad, his mother, like everybody. Uh, so I was basically raised by Sheldon Cooper. He, he tried to teach me manners and how to properly interact in social situations by giving me a compendium of missed manners columns. You know, like uh, Dear Abby had a sister who who wrote Miss Manners. Manners. Yes, I remember some Miss Manners. He gave me that book one summer and said, by the end of the summer, before you go back to school, you will have read every page of this. And that's how he tried to teach me how to uh, interact socially. There were some good Uh, ones in there. You had no idea how to teach me that, which makes sense, you know, now. And do we need to? Now we're at a point in civilization where we don't really have to assimilate have in that polite manner like manner. we used to because we have isolation and, you know, independence. Well, um, I actually had some firsthand experience. Um, when my kids were five, uh, they did a um, good touch, bad touch thing at, at school to help the kids to identify, you know, to build healthy boundaries. Yeah. And I volunteered to be one of the parents yeah. who, you know, work through that material. So we were all trained how to talk age appropriately yeah. about good touch, bad touch, when to when to find a trusted adult and, and, and how to how to talk about that. Yeah. And um, that was of course my kids were that age too. And it was it was emotionally very difficult. Well I mean I was successful and it was I'm glad I did it, but it was hard because um, you had to have language and and be positive about it at a time when you know you knew your kids were okay but you know there were a lot of kids who probably were at risk yeah yes i mean that's a reason why that awareness stuff is out there personally for me i remember a the assemblies for abuse so they had the puppets and everything and they would just go through all the different kinds of abuse that's out there and when to call like when to contact an adult if that if that's what you're going through and i was like oh shit that's me I was that kid in the crowd, like, uh uh-oh, like, yeah, that happens. Oh, gosh, that happens at home, too. I was like, okay, great. And so then I actually did tell somebody else, another family, but that ended up leading to more trauma for me because then they told my parents. Instead of telling someone else, they went to my parents, and then my parents, covering their ass, were like, oh, yeah, she just lies. She's just a kid. She likes attention. And then, boom, I got silenced for so many years of my life because of don't you tell other people what happened in our house. Like, don't oh, you, don't you do awful. it. Yeah. I mean, but that's the thing is our parents didn't know that how damaging that would be to, to us. Like, I also know that my sister's going to have to deal with the words of her mother saying, I wish I never had you. Like, those are things that sit forever in the brain of a child. And some parents just had no idea that those words would, would cause so much damage in the moment. It It's not even just something from our childhood, it's something that continues even now today. Yeah. Um, I mentioned my seven-year-old nephew. I love my sister to death, but she's 30 years old and can't get her shit in order. Um, and my nephew suffers heavily those consequences. He doesn't, he doesn't know how to emotionally connect to people because he doesn't get that emotional connection from my sister. And my sister doesn't know how to connect with her own son so she talks to him like he's an adult, which I understand not necessarily always babying your children to have adult vocalizations with them as they grow older. 
But from the time that I can remember, she's always spoken to him very aggressively and adult-like. Even when he was three or four years old, if he had something in his hand, he shouldn't. Instead of just being like, oh, we got to put that down. That's not to be touched. And explaining to him why, like putting it into like layman's terms, kind of like, this is this and this is why. And now you understand. It was like, get that out of your hand. Put that down. You're not supposed to be touching that. So I feel as my role is kind of like the cool aunt. I don't want to brag or anything. <laughs> but when I come around, the few times a year that I get to go home to visit my family, connecting with him is such an important thing to teach him that no matter how far away aunt lives from him, he always has somebody who's going to talk to him. Like he doesn't know how to emotionally navigate himself either. Like. Even when my mom or I tell him that he can't do something and this is why we can't do that, he goes into a full emotional meltdown because he doesn't, he's like, oh my God, I'm getting yelled at again, but we're not yelling at him. We're trying to explain to him, Yeah. trying to navigate those emotional waters with him. So going in and talking to him and explaining to him, you know, take a deep breath. What are you feeling? Like, it's okay to be upset. You're not in trouble. We just need you to understand. And it's getting so much better and it's so cute. He has his own little like, iPod, iPhone thing or whatever. And he has my number. So this little seven-year-old calling me every <laughs> once in a while yeah. to tell me how his school day was or yeah. when he's gonna, it's good to see that even the distance between he and I, the little bit that I can do for him to help him, knowing what me, my brother and my sister went through with my our mom and dad with those like, tumultuous conversations and constantly being yelled at. My dad used the belt on us as punishment. Like, you know, it, it was not an easy childhood. So taking a role that my sister clearly can't embrace and trying to make those conversations easier for him, it makes me so happy to see, even though he's a little bit behind the curveball, but those conversations just, they're not always easy, but I think more people should take on those conversations that old the old saying of it takes a village i think that's real i think i think we really are meant to have our extended families being the cool aunt allows you to have a way in with the kids that they can express themselves because that's also another thing is letting the parents have a breather time like the expe expectation of being a perfect parent is real like everyone expects you to make sure your kids behaved and they're hitting all their benchmarks and you're now in charge of every moment of this little person's entire life that's a lot of stress so you need other people to kind of take that from you but we have now thought our our lives are meant to be so separate from each other everyone needs to have their own home away from their parents away from their aunts and uncles but why like, doesn't that just make it harder for you to actually spend time with your children because now you're having to work so much to afford these places that you don't really end up spending that much time in? Like, so uh, there's, a, there's a bunch of studies going into the reason why we're having so many problems with people just feeling lost and not, not like they're, they're prepared for, for the world is because they haven't been. They don't have their parents around because their parents are too busy working to afford their life. And that's, that's shitty. That's why our lives are so shitty. It's because we think that work is more important than actually spending time with our family. It is that simple, but it, it has all of these unintended consequences that people just didn't think about, you know? So it, I think that was a successful introduction into what we're going to be covering in Girl the Fuck Up. I think that was a nice run. Thank you guys for participating. I do appreciate it. I was not briefed to have something prepared. 
<laughs> uh, excuse me. I let, I let y'all know that I was like going to ask you who the fuck you were and I, what the fuck you were I doing here. I did read here. that message and I still didn't prepare myself very That's well. That's all right. That's all right. Uh, I wouldn't have anyway, but... It would be real still... life. It would be real life if you had actually prepared, you guys. Like, this is my baby. Of course, I'm going to overdo it. Bucket list checked. I've done a podcast. Yeah! <laughs>